Oh no, the season premiere of Cancelled Too Soon went missing, and we skipped right ahead to the second episode about the Orson Welles show. Aw oh, man, what are we gonna do? How are we gonna find it? Who could possibly solve this mystery? Could it be... Nancy Drew? Yes, yes it could. The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a film critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. And the part that was previously played by Whitney Seibold is now played by Frank Kachu, uh, the, the hipper, younger version, because this is a new season and we had to change the cast up a little bit. I'm seven of nine of the Cancel Too Soon world. Frank Kachu has also uh, been fired. And uh, due to fan backlash, we have rehired Whitney Seibel. Thank you for having me back. The letter writing campaign was very, very uh, helpful. Uh, thank you for you know that Twitter hashtag campaign that went on for months and months and months. But I'm glad to be back. Uh, Frank Kachu will be written out in a clever way, but you don't have to worry; he's no longer canon. <laughs> <laughs> there will be an amusing reference to him in the series finale. Yeah, well, we're, we're, we'll bring him back in, in a creative sort of way. Yeah, not but not that creative. He's still not canon. <laughs> anyway, welcome back to Cancel Too Soon. It's a brand new season of Cancel Too Soon. We just had the Cancel Too Soon Awards. And uh, the biggest reward of all was bestowed. The uh, Cancel Too Soon Awards is where we announced our picks for the best, worst, and weirdest shows that we had reviewed in the previous year. The award for the best show we reviewed was a tie mm. between John Glide Van Johnson which is awesome. And Tuca and Birdie, which has just been picked up for a second season. Yeah. So, uh, so we're complete failures. We didn't predict that. We thought it was gone forever. Everybody thought it was gone forever. Everybody thought it was gone forever. Uh, and Netflix yeah. did not decide to renew it, but Adult Swim knew it had a big enough cult audience, yeah. so they picked it up. Uh, so kudos to see, Adult Swim. You're going to see uh, new episodes of Tuca and Birdie on Adult Swim. Congratulations to Lisa Hanawalt, the creator of the show. Uh, and we love your show. It was canceled too soon, but now it's not. So yeah, we got it. It's still. Uh, it's st- people ask this, like, does it like getting written out of our like our re- our awards books? Uh, it doesn't get written out, but there is a little asterisk next to it. Yeah, there's yeah. a little asterisk next to that because uh, they 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 got out of the canceled too soon swamp. Has that ever happened before? I know there've been shows that have like come out with extra episodes. Yeah, that, but that, I don't think a show's ever been uncanceled after we. No, it. we we do every September we do a, a little project that we like to call suddenly last season where we review the most recently canceled shows, yeah. and it has yet to happen where a show has been renewed after we covered it. Yeah. 
Um, it's been rebooted. Uh, it's been yeah. But like you said, uh, uh, what was the the Ray Winstone biblical series? Oh, um, God, of, of gods and no gods and kings. Gods, gaudy gods. Something about gods and kings. It's, um, it was the biblical uh, uh, epic show that that was done for network television, and the, ra- the ratings with, weren't good enough to justify the cost. Yeah, it was, so. it was one of those things that was supposed one of the many things that was supposed to compete with Game of Thrones, but yeah. it was way too expensive. Uh, uh, they and, only and also was an, it was also yeah. a network show. We saw the two episodes they aired and then they released a bunch more and we have yet to go back and cover those episodes i've, I've been i was i've been meaning to do that for christmas sometime because mm. that was our big christmas thing because it's a biblical epic mm. uh we may go back and yeah. do that another time that also happened with the mayor there were a couple episodes mm. we couldn't see and uh those leaked out so yeah we need to get we have a, to we, catch up with those as well should we just do a big episode where we just do both the mayor and that biblical epic uh, no 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 we need okay. we need to do like proper do follow-up episodes. okay eventually we will get around to that uh but uh yeah yeah it's it's weird mm. um it is however great especially because it's one of our favorite shows we've ever covered on canceled too soon yeah. so congratulations right. to everyone involved in the program uh i think it's well deserved but uh this week we're talk- taking something that's been really kind of hippified recently by the cw Woo! uh or is that the call it the car uh, as i like to well the cw was the weird mutant child what happened when you sort of you got the big Hadron Collider, and you put the WB in one end, one way, and then you put UPN in the other way, and they kind of ramped around and mashed into each other and became yeah. the CW. Uh, as such, their stock and trade became really super melodramatic teen dramas, often with a fantasy element, although not always. Mm-hmm. And then of late, uh, of late, they've managed to combine their super teen drama aesthetic into superhero team drama aesthetic and they've got this whole large interconnected superhero universe mm. over there uh, via DC which I have completely fallen off from. You started to follow it at one I, point. I right? followed it all for many many seasons I enjoyed it and then uh, I lost cable TV I couldn't keep track of it and I and, and now there's like eight series and, and they're, they're all, all interconnected and you know. gotta like watch them in the right order and it just became daunting and there was like part of me in my head which is like Oh, we're all in quarantine. I'll have all this extra time. Maybe I'll catch up on Supergirl, The Flash, and Arrow, and Legends of Tomorrow. And I didn't finish that sentence before I got tired. <laughs> oh, no. So it's I do just not. Too much. Also, I don't but, have that uh, much free time. We're keeping very busy. But yeah, uh, in yeah. any case, uh, they've, they've they, hippified they also, a lot also, of stuff. Um, they, yeah, they also recently hippified uh, Archie Comics. Uh, there was an, an Archie TV series called Riverdale. Called Riverdale. And, uh, which I watched a little of and uh, I couldn't get into. And everyone told me it got amazing later, but I just don't. Only have so much free time like I, I was kind of interested for like two days yeah. but during that two days i didn't watch it so i lost interest yeah. uh the pilot is not a great pilot if it gets better mm-hmm. cool uh, so i'm told but yeah i never got back around to and it. Uh, one of their more recent let's take sort of a a dusty wholesome property kind of like archie i mm-hmm. compare this to archie i think so uh let, americana yeah why, why don't we take nancy drew and brush her off. Now, Nancy Drew, as you probably know, uh, is a long-running book series that goes back to the 1930s and has been adapted to TV a couple times before. It's been adapted to TV a couple of times. Mm. It's been adapted to movies several times. Mm. And one of those times that people do not talk about Mm. is a Canadian syndicated television series from 1995 called, fittingly enough, Nancy Drew. Okay, if anyone is unfamiliar with Nancy Drew, 
It could happen. Uh, Nancy Drew is a plucky young detective, much in the same line as the Hardy Boys. The Hardy Boys came first. The Hardy Boys mm. were created uh, by a publishing uh, magnate, uh, uh, Edward Stratemeyer. Stratemeyer Syndicate. Yeah. Which, um, I mean, that that sounds like a, a, a Christopher Nolan thriller, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it sounds, it sounds like the bad guys in a Bond film. Mm. But uh, the Stratemeyer Syndicate uh, created a series of teen mystery novels about two brothers named Hardy and Hardy. Hardy, Hardy and Hardy, Hardy. Yeah, Ed and Tom. And, uh... Their names are Joe and Frank. <laughs> well, then they, I can't believe the Hardy Boys messed up their names. Their names are Ed and Tom. Uh, <laughs> the mystery of the changing Hardy Boy names. <laughs> um, and yeah, they were, I think they were the sons of a private detective, right? Uh, Am I remembering this correctly? I think... I didn't read a lot of Hardy Um, Boys when I was a kid. I was a little bit more of a fan of Nancy Drew. Okay, I did read the Hardy Boys um, when when I was a kid. Yeah, Frank and Frank and Joe Hardy, Frank Hardy, that the tough macho one. Yeah, yeah, Um, and yeah, because they were published, you know, way way back in. 1930. 1930. 1930. Well, I think the Hardy Boys was like late late 20s, and Nancy Drew came along in 1930. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. These are. Considered today to be sort of like unbelievably square. It's like the Lassie TV series or Father mm. Knows Best, just where there's it's four younger readers. Yeah, there's nothing really threatening, but you know there is a legit yeah. mystery. There, there may be a murder, but it's not like oh my god, someone disemboweled. Yeah, dad. yeah it's like, like no, it's someone uh, was poisoned, and the killer is collecting skin. Yeah, like nothing like that. No, um, no, nothing, nothing brutal and terrifying. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but, a, but mysteries, proper mysteries. mysteries. And I think uh, the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew uh, collectively kind of kicked off the, at least the, the popularized version of a young adult reader's mystery novel about a young amateur mm. detective, a child, usually. The, the Hardy Boys yeah. are young. They're like teenagers. Yeah, they're kids. And uh, who are sort of just freelance solving minor mysteries throughout the town. And we still have that today. No, we've had like this. Th- it's interesting. Actually, the history of like the detective story as a genre mm. doesn't go back as far as you might think. Like it only properly goes back. Like the one where there's like a really interesting detective who solves mysteries, not just there's a mystery to be solved. Mm. That kind of only goes back about as far as Edgar Allan Poe. Um, there's some debate about where exactly it officially, you know, originated, but eh, I've never heard anyone say it goes much further back than mm. Edgar Allan Poe. And then, of course, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle uh, popularized and codified Sherlock Holmes as sort of the um, uh, what the, the framework upon which almost every other famous detective story would yeah. be based. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, we got the Hardy Boys out of it. The Hardy Boys were a hit series of books. And uh, Edward Stratemeyer uh, said, okay, this is great. We've got this hit series of books. How do we exploit this idea further? And he uh, decided to start publishing a series of books about a, a young uh, female detective. Mm-hmm. They went through a variety of names. They decided on Nancy Drew. And uh, the, here's the, the thing o- that I was the, supp- o- the author of the first book is Carolyn Keene, who is not a real person. <laughs> this is something I was surprised to learn, actually, because uh-huh. usually when there's like this kind of like a popular phenomenon character, a character who's so strongly uh, uh, presented she- mm-hmm. that they make this kind of lasting impression on pop culture. There's frequently someone behind it who put a little passion into it and had like, you know, a really interesting, clever idea uh, and fought be- for either it. Either believed in it or they yeah. didn't believe in it, but they were talented enough to make that person sing. You know, yeah. like J.K. Rowling or mm-hmm. Stan Lee. You know, we associate names 
mm. with it. and uh, this was entirely a corporate decision. <laughs> yep. And uh, they the they were just like, we want a female detective. We're going to get a bunch of ghost writers. Uh, the nearest I can tell, initially mostly women, and uh, we're going to come up with some outlines and we're going to pump out a whole bunch of books, and we're going to say they're all written by this person, Carolyn Keene. The books were hits. The books mm. were incredibly successful. In fact, within a decade, Nancy Drew had a series of movies with names like Nancy Drew, Reporter. Uh, I've seen one of those. Oh, one of like the, the 30s films? Yeah, there were proper B movies. You know, they're only about like 70 minutes long. Mm. Um, and uh, they were clearly made on the cheap. They're very, very formulaic. Um, but yeah, I saw Nancy Drew, Reporter. Uh, it's... Not the best Nancy Drew in that she's more plucky than she is brilliant. Mm. You know, she gets by on personality and drive more than she does actually on finding real clues and right. being intelligent, solving the case. Um, it's charming, though. Like, I did enjoy watching it. Um, I particularly liked the way that her boyfriend in that one Ted. is this like uh, put Ted, up no, Ned, Ned, Ted or Ned Nickerson, depending on which version you're watching. I think that one was Ted. I think All they right. changed it to Ted. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he was extremely put upon and always just sort of, like, dragged into mysteries, like, against his will and always ended up suffering in some way. Mm. And there's something about that I just found that just really delightful. Um, the books were hits for many, many decades. And then in the 1950s, they had a huge overhaul. Uh, and in the, when, the late 50s, they started rewriting a lot of the original books. Yeah. Like same stories, but... For modern enti sensibilities. Entirely new text. Uh, uh, a lot of them had uh, caricatures that would be considered racist, even oh yeah. in the 50s, which is pretty impressive that they that they tried to yeah. fix that. And apparently their solution wasn't so much to like rewrite the characters so much as it was to uh, take out all the persons of color. <laughs> Just yeah, take yeah, them out all together. More or less. Uh, which is not great. Also, in, in the originals, uh, Nancy Drew was 16 years old. They they, they upped her age to 18 mm -hmm. and what we're about to see is we're going to see her like post-college we're going to see post-college yeah. nancy drew initially in 16 here, yeah. years was like the earliest age when people could like be uh, grad could be graduates from high school so and, she and could also, still be independent at 16 well and also uh, and that age just kept going up keep in mind teenagers as sort of like their separate age group wasn't mm. yet a thing that didn't Really, like they didn't really emerge as a demographic with their own particular tastes until the 1950s. Well, in the 1950s, uh, they started having like disposable income. Disposable, and, yeah, yeah. As a post-war years, also car culture had yeah. a big thing. So teenagers they had a lot became, more freedom. Yeah, they were a lot more independent, and they had sort of interests now separate from that of their parents. In the 1930s, when you were 16, you were essentially young adult. Yeah. As, not, in, not, as not, in, you should be working now. Yeah, like, you can you can get a job. You can, like, start considering getting married to a sweetheart. You can go to go to a trade school. But, yeah, this idea that you have this transitional period from childhood to adulthood, the teenage years, yeah. uh, it was gone. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, having a 16-year-old detective was kind of like having just a young woman. Yeah. Who, kind of unassuming, people probably don't suspect that she's as brilliant a detective as she is. That's pretty common. Because, you know, because yeah. of sexism mostly. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, they upped her age to 18 in the 1950s because you kind of More had to adjust, yeah, had to kind of adjust yeah. the uh, the age group. Still young. Still young. Still young. Um, Still, a lot of people don't really think 18-year-olds are going to solve murder mysteries, so I, I get it. I believe in... Hmm. The 1970s, and this is probably yeah. where a lot of people, like, a lot of the interest in the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew kind of was rekindled. The 1970s TV was shows? Was the 1970s TV show. Yeah, the Hardy Boys Nancy Drew Mysteries was a series of television shows in which 
every other episode you would have either a Nancy Drew episode and Nancy Drew was played by the great Pamela Sue Martin. I was a fan. Hmm. I wasn't alive at the time, but I've watched reruns. I thought she was really, really great. Uh, And, or you would get the Hardy boys who were played by Sean Cassidy and And uh, Parker Parker Stevenson, Stevenson, who is perhaps best known uh, for his work in either Baywatch or here on Cancel Too Soon. He's known as the star of Probe, which is one of the other really fun Mm. detective uh, series we've, we've covered. Um, the Hardy Boys Nancy Drew Mysteries was a big hit for a while. Uh, after a more time, they started having them team up mm-hmm. rather than adjust, and every week you didn't know which one you'd get. And then, and I think in the last season, they recast Pamela Sue Martin uh, as Janet Louise Johnson. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen any Janet Louise Johnson episodes, but I always thought Pamela uh, Pamela Sue Martin was really great. I haven't seen any of the 1970s series. Never, uh, it's really well, good. Like, I think I saw some of it when I was a kid, but yeah, yeah that does that hardly counts. It's that it's that sweet spot of 70s kind of shows where like every other episode was either like. Oh, it's a pretty good mystery. Mm. And then here's a stupid one with holograms. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, well, and that's, that's no. Kind of, that's kind of in keeping with Nancy Drew and Hardy Boys. I, I didn't read Nancy Drew, but I read Hardy Boys. I imagine because they're all part of the same syndicate. They're all written in a very similar style. Mm. So uh, I read a couple Hardy Boys books and I remember them being alternately like spooky. It's like, here's the one where we're lost on an Island at night and there's a spooky haunted looking lighthouse and, you know, yeah. kind of cliched haunted house imagery. Let's check it sc- out gang. Yeah. It's yeah. scary. And they're kind of like going in there and their friend is behind them. I don't think we should g- g- go in there guys. And, yeah. um, and then there was one, Oh, there, there's a bomb and an elephant. And it's going to take down a plane. Oh, no. Like, oh, so we have to... Operation Dumbo Bomb. Yeah, seriously. It's like, well, how did they find that out? That's weird. Well, I was searching inside of elephants. It's Frank. hard to find. I, I give I give the writers of Nancy Drew and Hardy Boys stories a lot of credit. Hmm. It's really hard to come up with ways for teens to stumble across mysteries. Like, I a part just, of me yeah. finds it so implausible that it would happen more than once or twice <laughs> that I just, my brain shuts down, but then I'll watch a Nancy Drew episode, or I think I read one or two of the books when I was a kid, hmm. and, yeah, I'll just be sort of amazed, like, wow, you could just literally stumble into a mystery every week, and the audience <laughs> will accept it. Just a guy's running down the street, bumps into Nancy Drew, he drops his watch, Mm. the watch has a clue in it. (laughs) Boom! You could do that all the time. This this is the watch of the High Lama. How did you get it? (laughs) uh, The thing about Nancy Drew is, in the 70s, and continuing all the way to that 2007 film with Emma Roberts, did you see that one? No, was it good? It was, it was pretty good. That's cool. Uh, Mostly because Emma Roberts was, like, she played the part really well, but she wore, like, penny loafers and, and, like, plaid skirts. She dressed like she was in the 1930s. Yeah. And the idea was she was really into old-fashioned stuff. Yeah. Like like, Nancy Drew. Like Nancy Drew. It was kind of like the... Kind of like the Brady Bunch movie in that regard. She was a little bit displaced in time. And I think that's something about the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew that it'll never shake. Now I that it's retro. I haven't seen the new Nancy Drew. They're probably directly countering it where she's just like, you know, having sex and, you know, shooting guys in the face. <laughs> I haven't seen the new yeah, one. Maybe I also they're making the new it one like... with Sophia Lillis, which I heard was really good. I, yeah, I, I missed that one too. Every, everyone I know who saw it said it was actually quite sharp. Called, so. I think it was called Nancy Deer and the Mystery of the Hidden Staircase. Yeah, which um, I think is one of the books, yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, I didn't see the Sophia Lillis film, yeah. and I'm sure she was great because I liked her in those It movies. Mm-hmm. She's um, very talented. But uh, again, those were like PG-rated live-action films, which don't exist anymore. Yeah. Uh, so the series we're about to cover, mm. they're trying to hip it up a little bit for a 90s audience. And they're making... Uh, 
Nancy Drew a little bit older mm-hmm. and there's a lot of sex appeal. There's like hot boys just falling around all over the three lead women in the series. Yeah. Every episode has at least two hot guys. That like just a sort confetti of, parade, yeah. but it's all 90s. It's, it's raining men. They literally just fall off buildings. Oh, sorry. Here's my shirt. Oh no, my chest. Uh, <laughs> but it's still not able to shake the, forgive me, total and utter blandness. Uh, I would have gone with corny. Cool. Okay. It's certainly corny. F- it's flavorless corn <laughs> of Nancy Corn Drew. has a delightful flavor. You shut your mouth. There's de- you're right. There's definitely sweet corns. Yeah. It's the I'm, sweet corn of TV. I'm talking about like corporate factory farm corn. <laughs> All right, so, 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 so in the 1990s, yeah. there had been a lull in Nancy Drew, and actually mm. Canadian TV uh, put out simultaneously, much like in the 1970s, a Nancy Drew show and a Hardy Boys show. Both got canceled mid-season. Mm. <laughs> we will review the Hardy Boys show at another time. There were a couple of crossover episodes, but the mm. Hardy Boys never showed up in Nancy Drew. Nancy Drew just showed up in the Hardy Boys, which I think is pretty in keeping with the 1970s show. Uh, it was a half-hour television series in which Nancy Drew goes to college and is out on her own in the big city and falls into a variety of mysteries. Yeah. It was a developer television. The, the big city is supposed to be New York. Uh-huh. But it's, it's clearly it's Toronto. It's very clearly Montreal. Is it Montreal? <laughs> it's Montreal? Yeah. It's Montreal. It's clearly Canada. Well, like, you I mean, can see it's, it's Canada Mon- thing. It's Montreal. They all have Canadian accents. Yeah. There are people speaking French, incidentally. And then at one point, they just said, screw it. We're just going to have... We're just going to be in France now. Yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, in, in any case, uh, Laura Phillips uh, developed this for television. Laura Phillips did uh, a lot of TV, mostly in like a kid vein. She wrote for Fraggle Rock. Mm. Uh, she wrote a series called Jake and the Kid. Uh, and perhaps the coolest thing, at least to me, mm. uh, was she wrote or co-wrote? Let me see if she wrote or co-wrote this. Uh, no, she wrote my favorite Christmas special, or one of my favorite Christmas mm. specials, The Christmas Toy. Oh, I've heard of The Christmas Toy. The Christmas Toy is a 1986 Jim Henson special. And here's the thing. I've often suspected that the makers of the original Toy Story ripped this special off completely. <laughs> because the premise of The Christmas Toy is in it's a it's a decent sized suburban house with a kid who can afford a lot of, with kid who can afford a lot of toys. Mm-hmm. He's got a lot of toys. When he's not in the room, all the toys come to life. However, it's Christmas, mm. and the kid's going to be getting new toys. So everyone's getting ready. The problem is, the kid's favorite toy, this little stuffed tiger, he doesn't understand the premise of new toys, because he's the newest toy they've got, and he's the favorite. So he thinks he's supposed to be, come downstairs and be the Christmas toy all over again. Mm. What he doesn't realize is that the kid has got a brand new toy, a sci-fi action figure who doesn't realize it's a toy. That I saw that movie. It was yeah. Called, it was called Toy Story. And they get locked out of the bedroom and they have to find their way back in. It's really on the nose, basically the same as Toy Story. And a part of me likes it better. There's actually like some real stakes involved. Like in Toy Story, toys can move in front of you. They just don't for reasons that I don't even think the toys understand. They just say there's rules. Yeah, but they never explain what happens if you break them. In a Christmas toy, if a person sees a toy move or a toy out of place, like, oh, I knew you were on a shelf, but you're down here, Mm. that toy is frozen forever. It just becomes a toy. It becomes a toy. And so it's real. There's real stakes involved. 
Wouldn't it be great if, like, if you see a toy moving, you die. <laughs> like, the person dies. Anyway, it, the Christmas toy is really very good, like, on itself. If you wanted to say, I, I'm not saying anyone from the Toy Story movies plagiarized the Christmas toy. I'm not saying that. But I'd be surprised if no one uh, who made the production had seen it and they mm. didn't think, well, that was a good idea. How can we make this our own? Yeah. Like, it would be, I'd be surprised if it never came up. But in any case, she did that show, good for her, and she developed this Nancy Drew show. And yeah, it's an episodic mystery a week, what's Nancy Drew going to solve this time kind of show. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cast uh, is quite good. Yeah, The, the lead actress, uh, Nancy Drew herself, is played by Tracy Ryan, a Canadian actress who did a lot of voice work. I was just looking over her filmography. She yeah. was in an episode of something called Anne of Green Gables, the animated series. Nice. <laughs> which we will totally have to track down at some point and mm. do uh, do on this one. Um, but yeah, she plays uh, Nancy Drew as... She's going to be in an episode of Firefly coming up. Oh, cool. I, yeah. I didn't actually notice that. Not, um, not one we've covered yet. Uh, but uh, yeah, she plays Nancy Drew as someone who is a bit mono-focused, almost monomaniacal about mysteries mm. to the extent that it actually harms her other relationships, which I think is an interesting take on the character. Uh, and mm. uh, much like in the book, she has two best friends who are kind of polar opposites. Uh, one is a more feminine, fashion-oriented girl who in mm. this series uh, writes like advice columns and gossip reports for a local alternative newspaper. The character's name is Bess Marvin, and she's played by, I hope I'm going to pronounce this right, uh, Jenny Irwin. Mm, I think it's Jenna. I think it might be Jenna. Um, she, uh, she doesn't have as long uh, a, a career uh, mm-hmm. as some of the other actors uh, on these shows, but she was on a, long, a relatively long-running show called Mil- uh, Liberty Street. Mm-hmm. Um, and she also played manager at Jean's World in the TV movie Amy Fisher, My Story. We'll have to cover that on our monthly movie at some point. <laughs> um, and also she has another best friend named mm. George Fane. She's played by Joy Tanner. Uh, Joy Tanner uh, has quite a few more credits. Mm. Uh, she was recently on the Netflix series Lock and Key as Aaron. She, Aaron. she was in Prom Night 4. Yep. Which is not a good prom night. No. The, it's a the, really bad movie, actually. The, the second and the third are awesome, by yeah. the way. Um, oh, they're great. Yeah, Wonderful pr- double features. Pr- prom, both. prom night, okay slasher. Uh, dated. You, if yeah. You've seen superior films that, that came after it. Yeah. Uh, prom night two, amazing head trip, kind of sexy, gory, horror ni- comedy. nightmare horror comedy movie yeah. with a lot of weird, fun nightmare imagery uh and it's getting a cult people are starting to recognize that yeah, too is a lot of fun hello mary lou prom night 2 like has, has gotten like blu-ray releases now yeah prom night 3 the last kiss just as good as prom night 2 just as crazy it starts in hell and we get to see the monster like escaping from hell it's mary lou yeah uh, so much fun yeah uh prom night 4 f- terrible yeah the unofficial george, george prom- was in prom night 4 uh, the, un- the unofficial prom night 5 <laughs> also terrible but to its credit, really weird. Mm. Uh, but in any case, uh, so she's in this. Uh, the other main recurring character is uh, Nancy's boyfriend, Ned, who's only in about like five episodes. Mm. Ned is played by a young Scott Speedman, who a lot of people would know from the Underworld movies or the show Felicity. Yeah. Uh, he play, I think he played just the boyfriend in both of those. <laughs> I mean, more or less. Uh, he, on, played, really. he played a hybrid between a vampire and a werewolf who was, like, the key to saving the world in the Underworld movies. That's that the Kate Beckinsale character fell in love with. Yeah, so he's her boyfriend. I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying the plot he's, tried to make him more. He, but he's, he, a, he's a monster, yes, yeah. but he's st- yeah. ostensibly just the boyfriend character. And in Felicity, he played the hunky guy at high school uh, who Felicity, like, followed to college because he, 
she thought maybe she'd have a chance with him, and then she ended up growing beyond that, and I gave up after season one. Um, but uh, yeah, so he's in this too. I love Scott Speedman in this show because his take on Ned, mm-hmm. Nancy's long-suffering boyfriend, is that he is absolutely miserable and wants to break up with her, and he just can't. Mm. Like, every single time anything happens, she is horrible to him. She's borderline emotionally abusive to him. He looks depressed. He looks tired. He looks like he'd rather not be there. And every time she forces him to do something, he rolls his eyes a little. Mm. Like, he just doesn't want... It's like it's clear that they dated in high school and aren't supposed to get married. And, like, Mm -hmm. college was supposed to send them off in different directions. But they're hanging on too long. And they're, like, wasting prime dating time. (laughs) Like, that's that's the sad, untold story of Nancy and Ned in the 1995. (laughs) I stand by Which they don't explore. In fact, nothing nothing really serious is ever explored in this show. Not especially. Um, No. So so there's plenty of time for your your mind to wander during the show. So I found myself more distracted... By um, uh, da, da, da. George and Bess. Jo- Bess. Bess was the character. Okay. Bess's horrendous, horrendous 1990s outfits. Oh, they all um, have pretty horrendous 1990s yeah, like, outfits. But there's, I mean, a, there's, there's one episode where Bess has a vinyl vest and a different colored vinyl jacket on top of it. Yeah. A lot of vinyl on Bess. A lot of uh, see-through raincoats that she's just sort of wearing out on the street. That was a thing in the mm-hmm. 90s. Uh, just that, that there was a a certain kind of makeup fashion. I remember from the Mm nineties where the women were paint, like, like had found like really pale foundation that was also really thick. Like it was was supposed to look like you were wearing a lot of makeup. Yeah. And then like, I I don't know what's really, really starkly wax, like waxy lipstick to stand off from that pale. It looks like they were wearing Dr. Pepper lip gloss. Yeah. Which they probably were. Um, yeah. Remember Dr. Pepper lip gloss? I do remember Dr. Pepper <laughs> lip gloss. It was great. Yeah, and and it was just never flattering on anybody, and they give her the worst hairdo. So I'm just uh, like looking at this woman, thinking, "Oh God, I was alive then." And meanwhile, meanwhile, <laughs> why uh, why didn't I enter the fashion industry and stop this? And meanwhile, Joy spends the entire time. Joy Tanner uh, plays uh, George Fancy. George, yeah. mixed up. Uh, George, uh, who is the sort of tomboyish uh, film student. Mm. Of the group She gets to wear All like the really cool Like kind of vaguely Gothy outfits Well she she, I mean She's always wearing Like really tall black boots You can, you can like, just say she, she looks like She escaped Wilson Phillips To be in this show There you go uh, And and good god Is she giving off The queer vibe Oh yeah Like sh- she and Bess Although they're cousins Like banter with one another As if they're lovers Yeah There's all kinds of Queer energy coming off Of those two In fact every single time Either of them Is like supposed to be Like dating a boy or mm. interested in a boy in this show a part of me is just like no no they're, they're clearly more interested so. in one another than they are in any of these yeah. boys that are wandering through and nancy drew's style is a bit more conservative you know she gets the uh, you know the, the the trench coat but it's a relatively short trench coat so it looks more like a dress I'm sure that's a name for that uh, we're two dudes talking about women's fashion in the nineties. We're we're trying to be observant, but we don't know <laughs> yeah. what we're talking about, so we're just trying to describe it to you. Um, but she's always wearing these like outfits where, uh, you know, it's very conservative in the top half, and then the bottom half, the dress always like puffs out a little bit, and then she's wearing like tights. Mm-hmm. And there's something about that look that just looks kind of like an action figure. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very posed. Yeah, everything. Every one of these characters is so hyper designed. 
you would never see Nancy in a Bess outfit. You would never see Bess right. in a George well, outfit. You know, they would. They're very particular. You would recognize them in a lineup. It's it's kind of. Uh... That that reminds me of something I was actually thinking when I was watching one of the episodes of this. Uh, if you look at uh, animation, yeah, uh, the people who design animated characters are encouraged typically yeah. to design characters that can be recognized instantly in silhouette. Exactly. If you if they have no color, if they're just a silhouette, you because can, you instant can recognition is vitally important. Exactly. In, that, in, that's, anima- in animation and uh, video games in particular. Yeah. But, uh, so but live that's action why doesn't you, always you, think about. You watch something like The Simpsons. That's why Bart Simpson has that hairdo. He's actually following that design ethos. Yeah. Uh, you can black out Bart Simpson and you still recognize him because he has a, a very particular shape. Exactly. Maybe that was the ethos with the fashion designers on Nancy Drew. Because mm-hmm. I could always tell the characters apart, even if they were like little tiny across the room on the little sort of VHS rerun on Tubi that well, I watched this on. Well, they're just a little larger than life, all of mm-hmm. them. Again, Nancy, again, is played as a character who is focused almost to a psychological detriment. Mm. Uh, Bess, I love uh, 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 Jenna Irwin uh, on this show because every time Bess isn't talking, she's acting. And she's always looking like, she's like slightly cartoonish. Mm. Like she can't believe she's in here. And it's hilarious (laughs) to see her. She's funnier when she's not talking than she is when she's talking. And she's pretty funny when she's talking. And then uh, Joy Tanner, who plays George... She's always got this mischievous grin, you know, that's just like, ha ha, mm. I'm going to go shoot a film without a permit. Like that kind of, <laughs> that kind of plucky film school can do attitude. But, but there is a kind of uh, pathetic attempt to be hip yeah. that is just bleeding through this series. Well, that was all the 90s. It, it was the 90s. Everybody, Every, everybody was yeah. really trying to chase and replicate fashion. And at the same time, kind of undo it as well mm. uh but yeah th- this notion that we're gonna have a, a hip 21 year old nancy drew rather than a 16 year old nancy drew uh, uh that were, they're going to be sort of these pseudo neo bohemians living in the big city which doesn't ever look like new york no not even <laughs> like it's, remotely it's they're supposed to be new york they never yeah. explicitly call it new york i feel like they're in metropolis but yeah, maybe so, Superman's yeah. Metropolis, where like just everything is like pretty sanitized. There's no real danger to speak, and of. it's also clearly a Canadian suburb. Oh yeah, like if you've ever been to Montreal or Toronto, it's like this doesn't look like anywhere in America, like yeah. at all, like, not even remotely. <laughs> in fact, I think there was even a. Uh, uh, there's a wonderful joke in... Um, I'd recognize uh, the street name anyway, yeah. Uh, there, there was a wonderful joke in Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, which takes place in Canada. And, oh, yeah. And Scott Pilgrim is Canadian, and uh, one of the things that makes uh, the, the Ramona character so hip is that she's actually American, and how hip is that? And uh, One of the characters is an actor, and they're filming something in Canada, yeah. but because they're filming in Canada, they had to put up this gigantic backdrop of New York City mm. in Canada, so they're filming in Canada, and they're shooting uh, you know, New York City skyline behind them. And then uh, at one point, a character is like flung through the air because that's what happened in the movie and it's ripped open. And very briefly, you can see the Canadian skyline right behind it, like exactly laid over it. And you can tell that Edgar Wright was making a cute little comment. like behind the skyline is actually just Canada and all these movies behind every New York skyline is Toronto. Yeah. Um, I honestly don't know why they why they hit it. I mean, I guess they wanted it to feel like Nancy Drew could be living in your town. 
I, I think they wanted her. I, they probably wanted to have it take place in New York, but yeah. it's a Canadian series and they're shooting in Canada because Canada has better tax breaks. It's yeah. cheaper to shoot in Canada. Yeah. Uh, it's all Canadian talent. There are Canadian, so there they, Canadian they, they, shows they that didn't found... shoot in Canada at the mm. time. There was a show up and there's another show I discovered on 2B TV, which lasted three seasons, so we can't cover it here. But I finally have an excuse to talk about it. <laughs> it's called Tropical Heat. Uh-huh. It was briefly on in America under the title Sweating Bullets in the 90s. But on 2B TV, check this out. It's called Tropical Heat. It's the best worst show you've ever seen. Mm. All right. It is about a shirtless hunky private detective in an obscure Caribbean island and his plucky redhead no-nonsense business manager who solve a variety of crimes which of course all come to this really small town everyone is shirtless everyone is always having sex the dialogue is full of terrible jokes and puns and the opening credit song is like four minutes long and really laid back mm. and sets a weird tone it is. I've been. I've been wa- watching it this entire quarantine, and it has given me such <laughs> laid back joy to go back to this calmer era. And a weird little factoid about tropical heat. Before we move on, we, we got it. This this isn't aside, but this is important. I, so yeah, okay. please listen. This is this is really great. Tropical heat is of political significance in Serbia. Yeah, that's no joke. In Serbia, it's a really, really important show in terms of geopolitical politics. Yeah, in Serbia, it was one of the few shows they could get for this period in like the '90s, where uh, you know they, there were sanctions and they couldn't get a lot of pop culture from mm. the rest of the world. So, Tropical Heat was kind of highly emphasized and got really, really popular. It also helps that the tropical climate, like the show, shot in. Uh, you know, Florida or somewhere around there, and then eventually it shot in South Africa. But um, that was, you know, a vacation from the actual climate mm. in Serbia. People thought it just seemed really, really fun to live there. And the char- main characters, like Flip, Renegade, I Don't Trust Authority Attitude. Which is off the rack in America. There are oh, dozens yeah. of series with that same character. Oh, yeah. It, nothing about it is is noteworthy other than his, like, his exact level of smirk. <laughs> Um, but it it's actually like 37.7 but people looked up to to the character who's by the way his name is nick slaughter uh and to the extent that when they people like young people started rebelling against uh their uh mm. their government mm. one of the protest signs that was everywhere was nick slaughter for president because he stood up to authority so people like actually like the, adopted the, tropical heat into a political movement in Serbia. <laughs> it's fascinating. There's a good documentary that's kind of about a similar thing called uh, Chuck Norris versus Communism. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really quite interesting, and it's all about how American movies about a you know dumb muscle bound action heroes. Uh, fighting in the Cold War and saving America from generic bad guys from Russia, and how when those were smuggled into those countries across the Iron Curtain, they became like this pirate video, mm. you know, for, for like art a, movement, a, a, a political rebe- rebellion, a pol- political yeah. rebellious underground. Yeah. yeah, it's really interesting and it's a cool documentary. And I hope you check that out. And uh, seriously, if you have Tubi TV and you do, it's free. Watch Tropical Heat. It's like watch. It's like new. It's like if Baywatch Nights and Baywatch had a baby, and they actually just combine them, you get Tropical Heat. 
it's a great selling so, point. So Baywatch evenings, I suppose. Yes. Uh, Nancy Drew, unfortunately, has no such political underpinnings. In fact, there's <laughs> not a lot in Nancy Drew. No, there's not a lot uh, of depth, Like I said, there were, there, it's, it's only a 30-minute show, and they're yeah. really trying to stay as low stakes as possible. So yeah. somebody dies, but it turns out they're okay. Uh, <laughs> some, one, some people do die. Some people do occasionally die. Occasionally, and they, they talk about sort of the... Like some things that have political meaning behind them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's like there's, an assassination attempt. Yeah, or, or somebody's like you know, spreading like the the Robin Hood episode. Somebody's like spreading money around. Yeah, uh, for like to fight corporate greed. You know, there are these sort of like very basic thumb notes. Yeah, like, like flip, uh, note cards. But it's hard to to, get to a kind lot of get a little bit of like lip service to having a deeper meaning. But the show is so light and wispy. Yeah. It, and it, it's so easily consumed that it, it feels like there's it's not about anything. Which is interesting because actually Nancy Drew, perhaps by intent or perhaps uh, just because she was popular, hmm. uh, is actually a really influential figure to a lot of people and a lot of uh, famous uh, politicians, for example, have expressly said that they were inspired by Nancy Drew mm-hmm. to stand up to authority, to investigate corruption. People like uh, uh, Supreme Court Justice Sotomayor, uh, mm-hmm. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, well, cons- Laura Bush, yeah. Hillary many, Clinton. They've how, talked about this. How many like characters from literature are like Nancy Drew? Mm-hmm. I mean, from that era, that is. Yeah. I mean, we did have characters, uh, you know, for like Little Women, yeah. but they weren't like detectives. Well, yeah, no, no, they, no, didn't, like, they didn't have like an active there were, sort of profession. There were, there were. Okay, for the record, mm. there probably were more than we're thinking of, and there are definitely mm. examples. But Nancy Drew stood out and was, it, it was enormously it was the, popular. The most popular one, anyway. It was yeah. an enormously popular franchise. So I, I would and, love to know about more if there were other yeah. like quote girl detective characters from like the twenties yeah. or thirties. And on top of that, like every major pop culture character who is portrayed in a heroic light, um, that leads to critical scrutiny. Where mm. critics of uh, art and culture will look at a character like Nancy Drew and ask mm. themselves, what does she represent? What does she stand for? What is she actually teaching a young woman? And it's actually interesting to see how divided the critical discourse has been on Nancy Drew, where some people see her as a very feminist character. Again, she is standing up to authority. She mm. is uh, taking up uh, uh, you know, roles that would traditionally be reserved for men in this kind of fiction. On the other hand, many portrayals of Nancy Drew are extremely conservative. And as a result, it seems like she may be standing up to authority, but in service of very conservative ideals. And how much of a step in the feminist direction is that is a matter that many have debated. Mm. Again, this show mostly avoids that. It's clearly a show about independent women living in the city. There's almost no mention of anyone's parents. There's almost no... Nancy has a boyfriend, but he spends most of his time doing charity work in Africa. She's pretty much completely independent. Like, she's doing it all on her own with her two friends. They all have their own personal interests. Mm -hmm. They are pursuing very different careers. And that's kind of it. That's kind of the show's ethos. It's uh, independent uh, uh, women making their Mm -hmm. way in the big city and solving problems along Mm -hmm. the way. Caroline in the city. Um, what was Nancy? Nancy Drew was she was still a student, yeah, and she was like studying criminology, criminology or possibly like the law, something like maybe. Yeah. 
I know in the they're kind of a little vague on in, what she's the, actually studying. In the books, if I recall, again, I haven't read them, just sort of pop culture knowledge. I think her dad was like a, a criminal justice lawyer. He was okay. Yeah. So she always like had a foot at least in, the ones I read. She had a foot in that world yeah. anyway. Um. So yeah, I guess she's just continuing with an interest she's always had because she grew yeah. up in that world. Yeah. Uh, but we never see her go to class, and I don't know what she does for a living to pay rent on her expensive Quebecois New York apartment. There's two things with that. Uh-huh. One is that Nancy Drew has often been portrayed as her family is wealthy. Okay. So travel and other various uh, means, things, things that would normally hinder a young detective mm. and prevent them from following leads... Not much of an issue. Yeah. Um, so Nancy has always had, uh, you know, some money behind her. She's very, she hasn't always been portrayed as, uh, you know, broke. Mm. Um, so there's that. And I forgot the other thing I was going to say. Oh, oh but what, also, also the show, the show does clarify at one point, there's one episode okay. where we see that she is working for a temp service. Oh, right. she's get, she's got yeah. like, she's got like, she is working, but it's mm. clearly part time. And uh, in the pilot, that we do learn that they're a little bit hard up, yeah, because they're like scrounging furniture. Yeah, like so. The, in the pilot, let's, let's actually get into the episodes because I think mm. we've more than covered the mm. the, the groundwork. Well, also this aired in uh, nineteen in December of nineteen ninety five. Yeah, and from uh, from uh, September twenty third, nineteen ninety five through December sixteenth, uh, nineteen ninety five. So about a half of a normal season mm. of television at the time. Um, <clears throat> Okay, so the first episode is called Welcome to the Callisto. The Callisto is the name of the apartment complex where Nancy, George, and Bess all live. It do- it doesn't have personality like Melrose Place, by the no, way. No, but there is, every once in a while, they'll do an episode where we find out that the people who live at the Callisto have, like, mysterious pasts. I feel like what they were trying to get at is that this, this building has a really long history in... I'm just gonna I'm just gonna call it Metropolis. I don't care. This really long history in Metropolis, yeah. like before Clark Kent and Lex Luthor came here, this building was racking up interesting folks. And um, every once in a while, there'd be an episode about the people who live there. And indeed, the first episode is one of those. Uh, Nancy is driving into town. Uh, George and Bess already live here, mm. and uh, she's going to be initially. She's going to be rooming with them, but clearly, according to later episodes, she eventually gets her own apartment in the Callisto. But I guess initially, she's staying with George and Bess. While she is driving there, she almost hits a guy with her car. The guy runs away, and Nancy is intrigued because he looked terrified. And she asks around at a park, which is clearly not Central Park, but I think it's supposed to be. <laughs> because there's a line of dialogue later where George and Best find her. It's like, oh, we found you. I'm like, it's half a block. It's half a block of park, and there's like eight trees. It's not that hard. Um... But this whole uh, show is like so quaint. I know. I found it really charming, actually. Um, uh, anyway, she uh, she nearly avoids hitting this guy, and she's trying to uh, investigate what the hell is up with him. Mm. And it turns out he has these weird connections to this like mysterious tea shop that mm. sells you know rare teas that help with like what they say is uncontrollable fear. Ah, yes, this this tea helps with uncontrollable fear. And a part of me just wanted to butt into the TV. So you mean it's controllable with the tea? So it's controllable fear. So you mean fear? Mm. Cool. I'll go back to watching the show. I just wanted to point out that that was a stupid line of dialogue. Goodbye. And I just walk out and everyone on the show is like, what the fuck was that? Um, he doesn't work here. What the hell? Uh, but she's investigating this like mysterious uh, spiral symbol. 
And the way that they set up this spiral symbol about how like people have a spiral symbol mysteriously mm. on their pens or in their cufflinks or whatever, mm. I thought but, it was going to be like a secret society that would be behind, yeah. either behind a lot of the crimes that Nancy would solve throughout the show, or maybe a secret society of like do-gooders who she would join up with. No, it's a symbol for a modeling agency. Yeah. <laughs> it's a symbol for like a fashion line or something. And uh, it turns out that the guy she ran over, here's the big mystery. They're 20 minutes long. There's not a lot of twists and turns. <laughs> the big twist is well, the guy I, she I was like... running from wasn't actually running from anyone real. Oh. He was uh, he escaped from his home country where he was he was persecuted and now he is living in a state of constant paranoia mm-hmm. and his daughter was a famous model in the 80s and she's been taking care of him and he just got loose and Nancy stumbled across him and mm-hmm. it looked worse than it was so yeah not not really a lot kind of a non like yeah nobody's really being yeah. hurt here there's not really mystery uh yeah Oh, I do like that they just get right into it, though. They yeah. don't have time to establish, oh, I'm moving into this building, and here yeah. are my cousins, and here are my friends, and, and oh, we're going to go down to the, the the lobby of the Callisto, and here's where we have coffee. And, like, they didn't s- spend any time setting up the universe. No, it's a She's very efficient She's driving pilot. into town yeah. when the mystery literally hits her car, and we- she gets out and doesn't even bother going to her, lo- her destination. It really bugs me when people think that, like, oh, yeah, if you're going to have a show with a lot of characters in it, man, mm-hmm. yeah, you got to take, take multiple episodes to everybody. Nancy Drew does it in 22 minutes. Establishes everything. Every, we don't know. Ned will meet later because Ned's we'll, not important in every episode. But we establish Nancy. We establish George. We establish Bess. Maybe not elegantly, but mm. effectively. Certainly gets the job done. We get a complete mystery from beginning to end. We establish at least one supporting character, her mysterious teacher, who's involved in things. Although we only ever see one of those throughout the the series that we got. Um, and we set up the Callisto as this place of some mystery. In 22 minutes. Good job. Story. Oh, gosh. This sort of. I I felt this way when Dexter first started to air, where they Mm. took essentially the premise of a feature film. Yeah. Here is a a homicide detective. He's like on a CSI team. Yeah. yeah. And his expertise is blood. He's really obsessed with blood. But it turns out he's secretly a serial killer. And how long can he keep this going? And he's been killing serial killers. Yeah. That's how he yeah, saves his, his appeites. And his, that's how yeah, he considers he, himself he, a good person. He needs to kill, so he kills serial killers. Okay, good. Good premise. Be done with that, please, in a hundred minutes. Yeah. We don't gotta, need, like, six seasons of television to explore that, that presence. Because yeah. uh, from what I understand, it's like, and it turns out his dad was priming him and all these flashbacks. and like well, he, his, dad, his dad knew he was going to be a serial his killer. Dad, he, so. he, he had all the telltale signs. And yeah. dad said, I love you. I don't want you to, like, be whatever. So I'm a cop. I'm going to make sure you know how to recognize genuinely bad people. Yeah. So Which is, it, you're, that's, so that's not I bad. Know, that's I know show. you're going to kill. But again, we don't need... And, and like his sister gets involved and he has a baby and he has an affair well, with somebody time, and then there's another serial killer. It's like, no, no, we don't need a whole Dexter season. is one of those shows that <coughs> got increasingly implausible. Like, I think, I think by the fourth season, they ran mm. out of material. Yeah. 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 They just, there's only so much you can do with this. So, with the premise but I, that I feel broad. like yeah. starting with Dexter, a lot of TV shows took things that were previously being condensed down into like single episodes and stretching them over entire seasons. I think that's something that really frustrated <laughs> me about Lost. Rather than just sort of give us a little bit of information, they had to give us a whole episode where they explain something when we're not really going anywhere. It's like we're lost on a desert island, so we'll have this big, long flashback episode to explain this one thing, which could have been just as dramatically satisfying if given to us with a single line of dialogue. Yeah. 
So I'm, I'm looking back at this show from the 90s thinking, yeah, this is kind of how all shows were. They were able to establish <laughs> things quickly and efficiently and still leave it satisfying for an audience. We don't need to spend a season of one hour episodes just to get to the premise of the show. Fair enough. Which is what the CW is doing now. Yay, good for them. <laughs> Remember okay. Shadow Hunters? I do, but that was Freeform. That's the CW. It's the other CW. A piece of the CW broke off and grew into its own entity, and it became freeform. It's funny you mention that because their online uh, like streaming service for CW is called CW Seed. Oh God! <laughs> it's broke off and is growing yeah. into another thing. <laughs> anyway, that sounds like some weird viscous creature that is just lumbering, leaving slime trails all over the streets. Anyway, the next episode is called "Happy Birthday, Nancy," and in this episode. Uh, Ned shows up for Nancy's birthday. Ned, again, as I mentioned, has been doing charity work in Africa. Uh, and Nancy feels weird about it. She actually just says, like, yeah, last, my last birthday I got to spend it with Ned. And they're like, oh, what did you do? And it's like, talk about how we needed more space. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of like, oh, your, your relationship isn't great, is it, Nance? And then Ned shows up and he's like, hasn't slept in three days and had to like... Like jump on a flight like that he wasn't supposed to be on that was for like political diplomats and gets in trouble with his passport and then he finally gets to Nancy's apartment complex and he's mugged in the alleyway and he's absolutely miserable and Nancy finds out he was mugged and she's like oh no Ned's been mugged I have to go search for clues and Ned's like I just got my head hit. Okay. And then Nancy goes <laughs> off to an alleyway and she's investigating for clues and she doesn't give a fuck about Ned. And Ned collapses for 18 hours and then when he finally wakes up and he's only got like another day left, Nancy spends the entire time trying to solve the mystery of why he was beaten up. Mm -hmm. And then when he gives her her birthday present, which is this like, it's supposed to be this like rare and beautiful box that he brought from Nairobi. Mm -hmm. And she's just like, oh, you brought me this box. This must be a clue. So she takes this beautiful gift that he brought to her from halfway across the planet and starts drilling holes in it with an industrial drill in the hopes of figuring out why someone would beat him up in order to get the box. And Ned's just standing there going, ah, oh. <laughs> and you know, a part of him is like, I guess she's happy. It's not really what I intended. Yeah. Like you can tell that Ned is really interested in having like a, a romantic, less, yeah, romantic a, afternoon or a just less mystery centric you know. relationship he just wants to do stuff with his girlfriend and she's just like nope I gotta break the gift you brought me from over the world and then it turns out that the diamonds that were hidden in the box were hidden like in this really obvious compartment in the box and she never had to break it in the first place yeah poor Ned, Ned, Ned <laughs> poor Ned. Ned break up with Nancy Ned you want to break up with Nancy. It's Look, okay to break up. You're in your 20s, man. You grew apart. Shit happens. You'll get over it. I mean, she She'll did, get, she's already over it. Was, but she did just move into a lesbian commune, so... <laughs> maybe Everyone's she's trying to send you, send you some signals. Some very... He, and he's sending her signals, and nobody's picking up on anything. Yeah. They solved the mystery. It turns out they were smuggling diamonds. Great. Yeah. Not, not for anything, like, really horrendous. No, no, no. It's not to, like, f f fund a, m a murder syndicate or anything. No, 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 no. Just smuggled diamonds. Yeah. The that, next that, That's something they put in cartoons. Anything in this show you could put in a Saturday morning cartoon. Mostly. The next one, maybe not. The next one is an episode called Exile, uh, in, oh, which, yeah. in which the Dalai Lama 
but not really the Dalai Lama. He's a Dalai Lama from a fictional country because we don't want to actually like no. what, what is piss it? off China it's by per, calling. Per, it's, not, it's not Tibet, it's, but it's it, a very Tibet-like it's, country. It's like it, it's not Perkasat per- or no, something. No, no, no. It's um, like Putan. Putan. That's what it which is. Which is makes it sound even more Canadian. Like Putin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's supposed to be Bhutan, but they decided to anyway. Um, um, but uh, yeah, so he's the other Dalai Lama has been in exile, hmm. and it turns out that. Nancy's professor is the one who's smuggling him into the country and Nancy is trying to prevent someone from killing this Dalai Lama and there's a car chase probably the most like the highest the most stakes action this, we get yeah, in the more, th- there are more stakes in this episode than anything else I actually like the way that the episode kind of st- oftentimes Bess and George have little mini subplots that aren't super important yeah. Here, Bess's mini subplot ends up being surprisingly important because Bess is a gossip columnist and she is constantly trying to. It's actually a clever idea because it gives her an excuse to be in places with famous people. Okay. Who then, then yeah. you know, have bring their own mysteries into the show. Um, she is tracking down this reclusive actor who is in town, and the only thing they know about it is he's like Richard Gere. He's got like a thing for the Dalai Lama. He's uh, mm. a, a devout. A follower of this of this particular person, and uh, as a result, it turns out that he's also behind smuggling this Dalai Lama into mm. Metropolis. Anyway, there's a big car chase. Nancy Drew manages to save the Dalai Lama, and by extension, uh, peace. Yeah, and he, and he's a very warm. This Dalai Lama character is a very yeah. like warm, funny guy. It's like, oh, and, yeah. and what are we going to do at the end? I would like some pizza. Oh, isn't that great? <laughs> he's, he's really down to earth. He's cool. Yeah. The next episode takes place in an abandoned insane asylum. Look, it was only a matter of time. <laughs> it's honestly Look, just so weird gonna... to see one of these that isn't set at Linda Vista Hospital in Los Angeles. Uh, yeah, because the, mm. this is just some building they found. Um, yeah, yeah the, they decided to, because one of them is an, an amateur uh, filmmaker, Yeah, and they have to either go to an abandoned factory, a cemetery, or an abandoned asylum. Mm-hmm. The, that's the, tri- the the film student trifecta. Gotta, gotta do one. Or if, also, if you're a photographer. Mm. Uh, yeah, they're going to film there, and of course, it turns out there was some like weird legend about somebody, that, something that's haunting the place. And, um, and they run into a hunky dude with a sledgehammer who's yeah. looking for something. Yeah, it turns out uh, that, uh, okay, so this... This mental institution closed a long time ago. George is doing a student project where she's trying to use uh, lighting and camera angles in order to create suspense. So she's just doing some, you know, bullshit found footage thing before it was popular. Um, and, uh, yeah, so they go inside and it what, turns what out... Was, what was the, the, the actual found footage film that was in the asylum? Grave Encounters. Grave Encounters. Yeah. It's pretty it was, good, actually. That was one of the better ones. The, yeah. the sequel to Grave Encounters is not good. The first Grave Encounters is actually quite clever and uh, pretty mm. spooky. Um... In any case, while they're there, it turns out that there is a story about two escaped convicts who escaped into the tunnels underneath the mental institution, which they actually have at Linda Vista Hospital, which is where they <laughs> shoot all of these movies in Los Angeles. That's where um, they shot that movie, Session 9. Yeah, uh, Linda Vista Hospital has this, like, corridor, or did, now it's a different, uh, they, mm. they, re- they refurbished it, and now it's something else, but... They had a corridor like between buildings so that uh, they didn't ha- when someone died, they didn't have to wheel them past all the other patients. Mm-hmm. So it, these buildings having corridors underground is not unheard of. And the idea is that two mental uh, patients escaped down there and they might still be there. Or there's treasure or both. 
<laughs> and, and the way they keep saying treasure is reminded of a Scooby-Doo cartoon. Yeah. Like, no, we have to find the treasure. When have you ever, like, yeah. earnestly in your life, thought of, like, gone on some sort of hunt for something valuable and referred to it as the treasure? I can't wait to find the treasure. Well, like if, if you if had the opportunity, wouldn't you go for it? Oh, absolutely, I would. Yeah. But I'd say let's find the, the like if it was. Well, you don't treasure, know what it is. I don't know what it is, but let's say if, if it's like a treasure chest, let's say, let let's find. You know I'd I'd refer to the chest, not the treasure. You, you know, what? let's be let's be completely honest about who you and I are. We are film critics. Okay, we're meta. Mm-hmm. You and I both know we'd call it the MacGuffin. We would call it the we MacGuffin. we got to find this MacGuffin. It's around here somewhere. <laughs> it's what really, is it? It doesn't matter. We're looking for it. It's really motivating us to act. <laughs> yes, um, we, would call it, we would definitely say, well, it's, oh, here it is. It's in the MacGuffin room. It turns out that the person down there with the treasure... First off, the guy uh, who was searching for the treasure was actually an orderly at the mental institution. And who he, was he trying well, to... One, of, one it, of the inmates had a clue as to where the treasure was hidden. So he's, he's he, actually just all um, in it for himself. It's not a great guy. And it turns out there is a guy who's been living in the basement of the mental institution. Former inmates. Yeah, living a there, big yeah. burly dude. It turns out he's harmless. but um, He's obsessed with clucks. He's been stealing wristwatches this entire time. And the treasure is this giant, cartoonishly large mound of wristwatches. And whenever you see a scene like that, especially in a show this cheap, all I want to do is talk to the production crew okay. and just be like, tell me about the day you had to get 8,000 wristwatches <laughs> on, a, on okay. a budget of 200 bucks. All right. Tell me about this day. For, firstly, that's mostly mashed potatoes. So, yeah. <laughs> just we had, had a, a, a snafu with craft yeah. services. It was uh, actually quite a coup. Yeah, like there's some He-Man action figures in there. It's yeah. all padding. Like The, whole, the yeah. wristwatches are all on the top you'll, surface. Yeah, you'll, you'll notice that you'll, we don't see like a wide shot of... Yeah. The amount of no one watches. digs into it. No yeah. one slides down it like the Joker in that big pile of money in the dark night. <laughs> like, no, nah, it's a big pile. But I but love they, that pile of watches. I would have killed to have been in that scene with the, the big pile of watches. The inmate goes out into the world. It turns out he's harmless. And, uh, yeah, they, they catch the bad guy. And yeah. the, uh, the inmate is going to be okay because he actually is wandering out with a, a coat full of watches. And he's just going to hawk them illegally. <laughs> Well, good for him. So he has a living. All right. He's going to be a street vendor. Uh, the next episode, uh, Nancy and Ned. Ned's back. Uh, Ned just wants to go to the beach. Nancy wants to do mystery things, like go to museums and learn stuff what? that will help with future mysteries. And Ned's like, what? can we please, for the love of God, <laughs> just go to the beach or something for once? Is, and is your problem you don't have enough vitamin D? And Nancy is just like, okay, fine. Yeah, we can do whatever you want. And then, of course, they stumble across a guy who, Robin like... Robin re- Hooding around town. Who releases a giant wad of money into the air right in front of them. And everyone's like, ooh, money. And it turns out the, on the money is printed bad poetry. And Nancy Drew is like, well, we've got to go to the beach. Yeah, sure. Well, I'm definitely not going to investigate this. I just have to go over here before we go to the beach to investigate the these clues. And Ned's just dying inside. <laughs> he's just dead. He just he doesn't he doesn't know why he's doing this. He doesn't know how to break up with her. I would love I feel to see it. So a, bad for him. I'd love to see an extended scene of him just going. Hey, uh, like that's so it. Like, like his whole, soul exits his like, body. Like he's ninety just, seconds. That's yeah. just Ned dying. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to make this clear. I like Nancy Drew in the show. Mm. I think she's a fun character in this show. I like the way that she's played. She's clearly wrong for Ned. They are clearly terrible together. <laughs> they are clearly if they whatever if they were meant to be before, they're no longer meant to be that. They've grown apart. Ned has other interests. 
it sucks. <laughs> like, it's a sucky relationship every time it comes up. They investigate this um, this bad poet who's also stealing money and, like, releasing it into the wealth. And they keep running into this detective. Like, every time they go to a new place to investigate a clue, this detective is already there. And I'm thinking, oh, he's probably the guy. Turns out, no, he's just a detective. The guy this is a bad <laughs> poet. And I'm just like, okay... Did the show outthink me or underthink me? Like, I don't know. Like, did they know that, that, that I would is... think that that was a red herring? What? Did they get me? I don't know if they got me or not. Here's the thing about this Nancy Drew show. Uh, when they give the big reveal, when it's revealed, and this guy, it turns out he was the Robin Hood, and here's why he was doing it. I never once, during the entire time I was watching this show, go, oh. Oh. <laughs> Oh, I get yeah. it. Not, bad. not once. No. Like, and that's what happened. Yeah. It's not it's not that the mysteries are bad. They're not bad. Like a couple of them are, but like mm. mostly they're just like it's not okay. I thought it was this one thing. Turns out it was this other thing. Ah, ah, it's this thing. That's all you have time for in 22 minutes. Mm. Like it's hard to tell like a complicated murder mystery. It doesn't have to be on, complicated, no. but like a clever twist yeah, or no. a, I just, a double but, back or some strange do. reveal. It's hard to do every mm. single week and they have a very limited amount of time and they have other stuff that they're trying to do. Look how I, hard it is. I want to be entertained. I'm just saying I'm mm. sympathetic. Okay. Sometimes it's just a plucky adventure and the mystery component is pretty minor. Okay. By the way, I forgot something. The opening credits of the show are a treat oh. oh they're great because first off it's like nancy drew like walking into like a dark hallway with a flashlight all you can see is the flashlight like it's the abc mystery movie mm. do, 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 do. yeah it has this really cool mysterious opening yeah. theme music. and as she and she would like turn the flashlight and the flashlight all of a sudden is on bess's face mm. and bess is like <gasps> and then she flashes it on george and george is like hmm. <laughs> but my favorite part is there's a bit where like nancy drew like turns a key into a door and walks into the door all mysterious like mm. and the key is the size of her forearm yeah, and like the giants. doorknob is the size of a cake i don't know why they did that well i mean it's it's like a very bare set it's all very you know stark uh, mm. they're clearly trying to go for like this animated almost like non-real james bond sequence she's not in a real room shining i know but there's friends. something about it that makes it look like she's like it makes it look like they're little kids playing with adult stuff which is what this show kind of feels like. But if they're in college, for God's sakes, it just does, it's the wrong mm. vibe. All right. That's all I'm saying. The key is all wrong. Big giant skeleton key. Yeah. Like it's, out, out of Scooby-Doo. It looks ridiculous. It's cute. It's cute opening sequence. I like mm. it, but right. the skeleton key is ridiculous. Anyway, the next episode, uh, Bridal Arrangements. This episode's fucked up. Like, this episode's, like, legit fucked up. Nancy mm. and her friends are just racists. Like, that's the whole plot. Yeah. So they go they, off we, to... We know somebody's suspicious because they're not white. Yeah. Actually, a lot of things in this show are only suspicious because the music tells you. <laughs> like, Nancy goes off, like, in that first episode when Nancy investigates that mysterious tea shop. Uh-huh. And uh, she's just like, hey, I, I was wondering, there's a guy who might have come in here. Uh, he, he was wearing something like this. Um, I'm this worried kind of, about oh, him. Right. Looks, there's this kind of gothy guy yeah. behind the counter. And the, and, and the guy's just like, I don't know what you're talking about. And she's like, oh, okay. And then another guy comes in and asks literally the same question with the same inflection. He's like, uh, excuse me, have you seen a man who looks like this? But because the music's going, uh, you're like, oh, he's a bad guy. There's no reason to think that. And it turns out he wasn't. <laughs> Half the time, the music is wrong. Half the time, the music is like not on the ball. Um, but the it idea is the music represents her suspicions. Doom, doom, doom. There's a that that tr- trio of notes is the, yeah. always used to denote mystery. Yeah, the, uh, the comedian Bill Bailey has a really funny bit. How um, 
Uh, he actually he knows music, so he actually knew like the chord progression of a doorbell. Yeah. Ding, oh yeah, ding dong. That's that's what you usually hear. Yeah. So that wouldn't it be great if you you push a doorbell. It goes doom doom doom. Boom 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 boom. It's like suddenly I'm filled with fear. So the plot of this episode, um, and it's called Bridal Arrangements. The plot of this episode is uh, George is. Working gonna... at or visiting like a music video set, they're shooting a music video in mm. town, and the guy who's doing the music video is like a DJ. Uh, he's an Indian gentleman, and uh, George has a crush on him, and it looks like they might like kind of be into each other. Yeah, right. Uh, but uh, George, <laughs> George is totally into the dudes. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, so but then like when they walk away he's, they see him talking to another person of color mm-hmm. and that music pops up and they're like oh they're talking very passionately over there we should investigate investigate what? <coughs> they could be arguing about the lighting for fuck's sake you don't no, know and then they see the them at a, and they see him at a coffee shop and they're having another heated conversation and the dude that George has a crush on like gets up and he like throws like a, a, a manila folder into the trash mm. so nancy like takes it out of the trash because something is clearly wrong because two people of color are talking and uh it turns out they're just racist he was uh, in a part of an arranged marriage that was but but it goes on from there mm. because initially it's like oh they're part of an arranged marriage but nancy drew won't let it drop she won't be like oh they're part of arranged marriage but i know something is wrong Okay, so they break into the guy who's like makes a living arranging marriages, and they just break into his house. They have no evidence that he's done anything wrong or illegal. They don't even have a particular reason to suspect that. Mm. The dude even said, "This is all on the up and up. My parents arranged it. I'm having trouble with it, but I'm probably going to go through with it." They break into his house, and only after they break into his house and rummage through his stuff, only then do they realize it's like a human trafficking scam. Yeah. Which means, yeah, okay, they stopped the crime, but only because they racially profiled people. Which is pretty fucked up, actually. Mm-hmm. It's not a great thing to believe to build a mystery <sighs> on. Is your was, hero yeah. being kind of racist? It, it was during this time, uh, this, I mean... It's always an awkward time in America, isn't it? But it's, <laughs> yeah. uh, or Canada, Ain't I suppose. That the but uh, uh, the th- Western this, uh, world, the Western, an awkward time in the Western world when uh, it was still okay to, uh, like, there was actually a very active movement to try to be more inclusive in media, and that's mm-hmm. when you know queer characters and, and colorblind casting really got a big push. Yeah, uh, not big enough, but a not, bigger not, push. not big enough, but at least a, a push. Like people were actually thinking about this stuff. Uh, yeah. A lot of people noticed that it was happening, and we started referring to, to uh, tokenism, where it was like an all-white cast, and there was one black character, and they were clearly the token black character. Yeah, they clearly they, weren't written to be there yeah. for an important reason. They were just there to, to like fulfill some sort of quota. quota. Uh, yeah. In fact, uh, in South Park, they made fun of that because they had a black character named Token. Yeah, that was the character's name. Uh, but uh, there was still a lot of exoticization of, especially people from Asia. Yeah. Uh, from uh, there were like all these kind of mysterious Chinatown locales. And well, like, that had been going you know, on for TV since as long as for I can, a, a as long, long as time. We've been but yeah, research that was right. not being let go at all. No, and so. A and lot of the these, these of, cliches were still yeah. being pushed in, but it was now under the banner of inclusivity, but it was yeah. still not playing like it was inclusive. No, no. I mean, look at every Apu episode of The Simpsons. Mm. 
And the way they even had an episode that was all about Apu's arranged marriage. Mm. There's a lot going on there that needs to be addressed and probably by people other than us. So mm. suffice it to say, there's some issues with this episode. This is not a good episode of Nancy Drew. We're going to move on. The next episode is called The Death and Life of Billy Farrell. <laughs> this is this one I kind of liked because it was, again, it was about like the history of the Callisto. And it turns out that there was a famous rock musician who only had a couple of hits. Uh, and he threw himself off the top of the building. And this, this is clearly a Kurt Cobain. Oh, yeah. Kurt Cobain, Kurt Cobain had died the year before. That's mm. all anybody could think about. Yeah. They showed, they Kurt started Cobain slash this, Elvis because there's sightings uh, of him. And yeah. Uh, but they, well, there were sightings of Kurt Cobain as well. Well, was, yeah, Elvis um, was more famous in the tabloids. But at the time, there were still sightings of Elvis in like the Weekly World News yeah, on the that, cover. Yeah, that's you true. Know? Weekly World News, the best piece of journalism ever. But uh, Sure. Bastion of breath. I tried getting a job writing for them once, and, and they said, "Well, you can write for us, but what doesn't pay is like I don't have time. Uh, yeah. I don't have time to work for free." Uh, but uh, this started with a close-up of the dead rock star. There was like a street um, mm-hmm. memorial to him, where people were just sort of laying flowers on the anniversary mm-hmm. of his death, Candles, and, pictures, yeah. and uh, or just to commemorate his death. And the actor that played this guy looked so uncannily like Anton Yelchin. Oh, I wow. thought it was Anton Yelchin. Oh, that would have been <laughs> it's weird. Like, but this is 1995. He's a kid at yeah, this Yeah, he would have been like 10. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like he, he would, but like he's an adult. He looks like yeah. Anton Yelchin did when he, when he died. Yeah. So I, I had to start checking dates. <laughs> like I ran to, wow. to IMDb just Surreal. to check. It's like, well, is that? No, that's not Anton Yelchin. Yeah. I actually did like this one because this one actually like involved some proper detecting. Mm. There's a part in this episode where they go to a video store, which oh, is gosh. just for a second, my heart saying, Oh yeah. my God, it looks so cool. Everyone there well looks so stocked, cool. large. The yeah. racks are all full. Everybody's VHS is everywhere, and it turns out there's a bootleg tape of a rehearsal session with this legendary rock star. All that of that Horton stuff Clue. was real, by the way. Oh yeah, <laughs> people would actually that, like yeah. video stores would actually have like rare and bootleg stuff that you could if you knew what to ask for it. You mm. could. I, I remember um, back or, before, or, we, or no one was checking, so they yeah. just yeah we could rent this bootleg. No, well, like, I remember when I was uh, when I was in like the early two thousands before. A lot of BBC stuff was coming to America, like, on the regular. Like, even BBC America didn't have all the BBC stuff. Mm. The only way you could get spaced was bootlegs, and, like, th- your local comic book store would just slip them to you under on the sly. Mm. Like, you gotta bring it back. We only have one copy. You <laughs> fucking don't, but okay. <laughs> or uh, what, what I love... Um some video stores and uh, I, I won't name names uh, ca- uh, were getting away with they were buying VHS tapes and transferring them to DVD yeah and renting out the DVD which you're not supposed to do that's right. that's against the law but, but they were doing that for stuff that had never been put on DVD yeah. and people were losing their VHSs so that was the only way to keep those movies alive it was the only way to keep those movies alive so you know yeah. this is one of those rare instances where uh, something that looks like piracy is actually a, a form of archiving yeah and also uh there actually is a statute that if you keep the VHS on the pre- or the keep the the actual tape yeah. on the premises, then it's okay to rent out copies. That's true. Like, well, I know about renting, but it is okay to have a copy of something provided you have the original. This yeah. is something that they run into with um, when they have put old like video games onto like a computer. Mm-hmm. Which, there's a name for it. I can't know why I'm not thinking of it. Uh, don't bother tweeting me. I'll look it up later. Um, but, like, yeah, so, like, it's okay to, like, take these old Atari games or Mario games or whatever and, like, put them on your computer and save them that way mm. so long as you still have the Mario game because yeah. you own it. It's mm. okay to own it in a slightly different way as long as you are, you are the physical 
owner of a thing. This kind of thing, by the way, these kinds of laws, because um, when VCRs started becoming popular and affordable, people started recording movies off of their TV, and studios were like, uh, we own that. Mm-hmm. And that went to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court said, you put it on TV, it's okay for people who had a TV and to you know, watch it later. And you know who testified in that case? Mm. Fred Rogers. Yep. Mr. Rogers himself yeah. said, I want my show to be copied and spread around because I think what I'm saying is important. And if you sort of leave it in the purview of a company, yeah. then my message isn't being heard. Fred Rogers was cool. Fred Rogers was dang cool. Yeah. Got a lot of respect <laughs> for Fred Rogers. Anyway, so the turns out it's actually kind of there actually is a bit of a twist in this one because mm. it turns out that the artist is still alive. But he had a brother who wasn't in any of the publicity materials. Mm. And he's the one who killed himself. And the guy was so ashamed, and also the brother was a kind of a large part of the talent behind the band, that he just took the opportunity to just slink into the shadows. And he's been living in secret in the Callisto this whole time. Hmm. And a part of me is just like, see, that's how you use that setting you've got for yourself there. There are weird people in there with interesting backstories. I want to see more of that. We never got around to more of that. Hmm. Moving on. Uh, Double Suspicion. This uh, is the, the Lost Package episode. Um, yeah, this is the Premium Rush episode. Yeah. yeah. Uh, turns out George, uh, George is a bike messenger, mm. and she is... Because of course she is, because she's she is. kind of a badass. She's totally badass. Yeah. And she's a bike messenger, and she goes to like a post-production movie house mm. where a guy who works at the film co-op she works she, she, she does her stuff at. The character is named Storm Wilson. I yeah. remember that because his name is Storm Wilson. And also there's a character named Skid yeah. in this episode. So, like every every male character in this episode is clearly like named after a porn star. Yeah, Storm and Skid. Yeah. Uh, so Storm, or, or like GI Joe ancillary villains. So Storm is like, okay, listen, I need this. I need this package to be delivered here, and it's really super important. And then uh, George is just like, okay, I'm gonna vaguely flirt with you, but it's not gonna be believable. And I'm just gonna row, go away, I'm gonna zoom. And it turns out there's this like bike messenger who dresses like the road warrior, who like just likes <laughs> bumping into her and racing her randomly. And he then looks a he, lot like Flea. He does, and he knocks her off her bike, and she drops the package, and she she sprains her ankle, and the package gets lost, and she's in trouble. And Storm Wilson's just like, "You gotta get me that package, or you'll never work at the co-op again." And there's this moment where George's face is like, oh, "Not my co-op," <laughs> which actually is worth pointing out that uh, before everyone had like affordable laptops with home video editing software. Mm. Making movies required more physical space, required more access to equipment that people didn't readily have. So she yeah. wanted to be a filmmaker and in, in that era in the 90s, and she wanted to work with actual film in particular. Mm. Yeah, she needed access to something like that. So that well, is actually, well, it, it reads as quaint now, but it's actually pretty genuine. And this is something that I've heard um, uh, millennial audiences complain about, uh, the Generation X entertainments. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is Gen X entertainment. These are Gen Xers. You totally. Uh, uh, and... This idea of working at a film commune is this big Gen X idea uh, where you can work the way you want to. Yeah. And if you work for the man, then you're selling out. Yeah. And uh, a millennial audience will say, take the work. We just take, yeah. just work. Just sell out. So that's, that's Selling out is no longer something to be ashamed of. Selling yeah. out is something to aim for. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, selling out was the goal for, for the millennial audience. There, you mean I got the corporate contract? Great. I wanted one. There's a line in a movie. I think it's uh, Sleeping With Other People where mm. uh, these guys invent an app. And at the beginning of the movie, they're like in like a big corporate office or something, and they're mm. signing a contract. And uh, the big 
obviously like corrupt or, or mm. untrustworthy corporate person says, congratulations, boys. You just sold out. Mm. Yay! This is what we wanted. This yeah. is what we did. We made a nap so we meanwhile, could sell it. Meanwhile, this, this, this comes from an era, the mid nineties yeah. when you wanted to go to a film commune and make real art, man. Yeah. And that's, and the, that's the, what you're working really hard to do is to do it right. Yeah. Not just do it, but do it right. I could probably get a job working for, for Paramount, but gosh, I'm not going to be a hack sellout. Mm. That's not something anybody understands anymore. It's not there, a, there's it's not, not, a, so, much there's not so much opportunity that you could afford to work quote the right way. A part of me wishes we could start fetishizing that a little bit more. A little bit think, more, please. Because I think it had yeah. a little bit more integrity, but like... I'm because not, it was about principles. It was about principles. It was also about principles, mm. even if they didn't put food on the table and it wasn't practical. I understand mm. that it was like maybe not... It was not pragmatic to live yeah. that way, <laughs> but maybe we need a little more of that. But anyway, might have moved too far like, in that direction. But in any case... Like reality bites. Oh man, you took my thing and you, you wrecked it. You sold out to MTV. He or, sold or, it. He or, got you work. Or rent. That's we can't, oh, rent we can't, is terrible. We, we can't do that. That's selling out. There's nothing more Gen X than rent. Oh, yeah. Rent is the most Larson's Gen X musical. thing ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Which has a lot of really poignant and wonderful things to say about people who are hmm. uh, uh, living with HIV in particular. Hmm. But all well, of it's stuff. Queer characters in the big yeah, city at the all time. All of that stuff yeah. is great. All of it's stuff about like working like in this sort of pure bohemian artistic environment, and the it whole is an plot, adaptation of La Boheme. I understand. Yeah. I, I I use that word on purpose. Yeah. But all of the shit about how like oh yeah, I I married a woman who owned real estate. I told you guys you could live rent free forever, and then after a few years, guys like hey, listen, times have changed, and I need to charge you rent. Mm. That's the setup. Like, hey man, how come you're you're selling out? Yeah, he's we were like, living for free, starving to death, trying to make art. And guys, just like something yeah, so noble and poetic you, about you that. could have used that entire time to save I don't know, literally any money. Mm. I'm not asking. He was. I think he's not even asking for back rent. He was yeah. asking for back rent. Then just, he'd be a bad guy. Just start paying for it now. Yeah, the arrangement was that you would be live rent free. So if he asked for like three years worth of back rent. That would be fucked up. That would make him a villain. Instead, he's just like, yeah, you gotta, you gotta, Start you gotta pay paying. some rent. Yeah. You're adults, and <laughs> I need to make money off of this property. Like that's how it works. And then they kill his dog, and it's funny. Mm. I feel so bad for Tate Diggs at that point. <laughs> well, I haven't seen the movie, but I did see I the stage production. I've heard the I've heard the album many times. Yeah, I've, I've I seen the movie. I, saw I never saw the, the stage. Production. I saw it at the Pantages. I got to see Neil Patrick Harris play the the Mark. Role. Oh, okay, yeah. that's cool. Um, very, very good casting. I'll bet. Yeah. Um, anyway, part of this episode is she's got a Nancy's got to help uh, George find where this video went, and it turns out the big the big reveal is that Storm Wilson can't finish his independent movie because it's an independent movie and no one gives a shit. <laughs> so, so what he's doing is he is working in an editing house, cutting together a trailer. Mm. But in order to get the trailer, he has to have access to and see the whole movie. And he has pirated the movie, and that's the video that he had gotten George to deliver. So he was going to make money selling this, like, summer blockbuster to some, like, shady distributor months before it was supposed to come out. And that's how he was going to make the money in order which, to make his... Which, as as crimes go, I mean... It's a very 90s crime. It's a 90s crime. There's not a real... Like, a giant company is the victim, and... Yeah. Uh, and, and who cares? <laughs> I, mean, listen, I will say this. But it, I, it is a federal for crime. A, for a Gen X uh, mystery show in the 90s, 
that's a pretty spot on plot. Yeah. And a part of me, again, like much like the video store episode, it was just sort of just like, oh, I remember the 90s. <laughs> this is the stuff I liked about the 90s. Oh, the, the good stuff. Bohemian jobs that had some kind of integrity. Yeah. Uh, awesome, badass bike, biker messenger woman lesbian and a record store. Yeah. All kinds yeah, of cool that, That's the show. Just yeah. just that stuff. Yeah. It's Empire, it's Empire Records, but there's a mystery. Yeah. The Empire Records mysteries. Oh, my that, God. Who wouldn't show? watch that? <laughs> Write that down. I'm, you're goddamn right I'm writing that down. That's it's, gold. Look, it's, it's got, it's got a, a recognizable IP. There's a lot of uh, nostalgia for it. But we could just turn it like Empire Records, this failing, always kind of on the cusp of failing, but never actually fails record store. Uh-huh. Is it set in the 90s or is it set in the present? Oh, it's set in the 90s. Are you kidding me? Okay. Set in the 90s and they have to, yeah, like track down Gen X That's, crimes. That store doesn't exist in the modern era. Somebody's bootlegging hacky sacks. <laughs> <laughs> Need to track them down. I love it. And we're going to make a million And look, dollars. it's Les Claypool <laughs> from Primus. <laughs> Les Claypool, you look terrible. You look 30 years older than you are. Yeah, I, I hit the whiskey pretty hard. hard, hard. Had the whiskey pretty hard, kids. <laughs> nice. Nice. Thank you. We're going to make so much money <laughs> off of this movie someone else owns. Anyway, if anyone makes the Empire Records Mysteries, you owe us money. That's our idea. That's <laughs> our idea, damn it. We're making this. This is a contract. This is a lead. By listening to this podcast, if you make the Empire Records Mysteries and you don't give us money, you're in, like, Cahoots we're, we're, with we're, bad. We're mad at you. Yeah, we have legal recourse <laughs> somehow. Anyway, the next episode is called "Who's Hot, Who's Not," and I like this one because it's a best episode. I think this is the only one we get. Yeah. Well, and also this was the episode where they decided we're just a French Canadian show. Yeah. We can't ignore the fact that we're a French Canadian show any longer. Mm. That the the Quebecois heaviness has just been weighing on us. So. We're going to set the... Now we're in France. Yeah. It's no longer New York or Metropolis or whatever. We're actually in France. Oh, I actually skipped ahead a little bit. I, mm. I missed a couple episodes here. Um, uh, yeah, here. Because there actually are a couple vacation episodes in France. Mm. But let's just do this one because I already introduced right. it. Um, so this one actually isn't vacationing in France. The next one's going to be vacationing oh, in France. Yeah. They do a couple episodes of vacationing in France. And then they just come back to like the Canada for a little bit. And then they go back to France. It's clearly they're showing out of order. But mm. <clears throat> anyway... Um, who's hot, who's not best. As I said, is a gossip columnist. She's also an advice columnist. And it turns out there was a rival advice columnist who is basically saying that her advice is causing people to lose their relationships and, uh, ponder killing themselves. Mm -hmm. And so she thinks she is being stalked by a, a, com yeah. a competitor. Yeah. yeah. It turns out the big twist is that she's not. <laughs> and actually there's just a guy who has a crush on her and he's kind of stalking her, but it's way more innocent than she thinks it is. Look, and again, this was the 90s. That was okay. Stalking it was, okay was romantic kinda, yeah, for kinda, a kind of stalk, yeah. stalk, you know, I, I followed you home. Yeah, that's not creepy at all. I've been keeping your chewing gum out of the trash where, can. Where are you now, Nancy Drew Mystery Music? <laughs> it's just like, oh, I just, I didn't know what to do. So when I was following her, I bought her these flowers, and then I kept the flowers so long that they died. So I just left her the flowers, and so she thought it was like a, a murder threat instead of romantic. And I'm like, hit, hit the music. Boom, 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 boom. It turns out he's just sort of a pathetic guy. Yeah, and it turns out that the uh, advice columnist who was trying to destroy her career was an advice 
advice columnist who was trying to destroy your career because mm. it turns out Bess was up for a job that Bess didn't even know she was up for, and the Just person being, yeah, who was being considered for this job, and the other no person who was considered for the job who knew about it was trying to sabotage the competition. This is a Bess episode. I like Bess. Bess is a fun, funny character. She's always got this like slightly cartoony she, she's, performance. She's, you know, she oh, reminds me of Video very, Drew. A little bit. She's yeah. got the she's got the persona she's a little 90s, bit of video drew. Nineties just... video drew. Yeah. She's uh I'm not it's difficult for me to tell if she's giving kind of a, a dorky melodramatic performance or if she's just not funny. I it's hard to say, it's but who cares? Six of one, half a dozen of the other. It ends up being charming. Um anyway, so that's that episode. The episode's fine. Uh, the next but episode is so then go we back, go to let's go to France. France. The Stranger by the Road. Which they the never set up. They're There's just never, in France. They're just in France. They never mention, like, here we are in France. They're just in France. Which and, is like, also clearly do. just Montreal. Oh, clearly. <laughs> it's like maybe a little bit, like, outside Montreal, yeah. where there's, like, a glade. But that's it. <laughs> there's a gl- the glade outside Montreal. Uh, so in this ep- the first France episode, The Stranger yeah. by the Road, uh, they are going to a nice hotel in France, and they ask someone for directions, and the, direction- and the person to give them directions is clearly a ghost. And so they ask, hey... Uh, this person gave us directions and the guy's like that person's been dead for 20 years mm. and George is like what the supernatural is real we have to investigate that and everyone's just like no we don't have to investigate things and George is just like Nancy what the fuck Nan- like literally Nancy Nancy yeah. who are you wait a minute there's what have a you new done mystery. with Nancy <laughs> I don't want to investigate alright fine <laughs> They investigate this mysterious ghost, and it turns out... At a mysterious inn, and they use the word auberge like 300 times <laughs> in this episode. I actually thought the solution to this one was at least mildly amusing, because uh, it turns out there's a paranormal investigator who is you know, writing about this ghost. You know, this, this okay, woman yeah. who di- young woman who died. And the person who was impersonating the ghost is actually a young woman from town who has fallen in love with the paranormal investigator and doesn't want him to leave. So she has been faking the ghost sighting, so they'll stay. I think I missed that plot point. Yeah, yeah. That's that's, that's kind of cute. That's pretty harmless. But then, as they're driving away, they just say, like, oh, so that was you that gave us directions, huh? And she's like, that wasn't me who gave you directions. And George is like, what? And then they drive away, and so maybe ghosts are real in the Nancy Drew-averse. So, okay, they're in France. You know, they're far from home, and the, the the mysteries are even more mysterious. Yeah. There might be something supernatural going on. You know, something that speaks to the flavor of the place they're going. Yeah. The next episode, a guy's been thrown out of his apartment and they have to help him. That's not a mystery. That's just an act of charity. Yeah. And it turns out he's also a photographer. He's a famous photographer and And he's he's been thrown out of his apartment. He's out of his apartment. They're going to help him with his stuff. But then he has to go to like his like art gallery and they go to that too. And it turns out his art gallery has been vandalized and no one believes him because he's the kind of artist who does like crazy stunts like this to get attention. So it's the artist who cried Banksy. And uh, but it turns out someone actually is trying to get to him. And they solve that mystery. I remember almost nothing about this episode. It wasn't very interesting. Uh, I, I have to have to admit that 
you in watching these. I was watching these this show with my son in the room, and okay. he's doing other things. So my attention was kind of divided for a lot of these episodes. That's so fair. I apologize if I missed a few plots. That points. one's just that You're was doing just very not... good at recapping. Okay. Uh, the next one's called Fashion Victim, and this one they're in France, and apparently Ned was here the whole time. I thought he came with them. I Didn't thought they so say, they I think just... he, they say in this episode that he came with them. He just wasn't with them up until now. Okay. In any case, uh, they're all in Quebec. It doesn't matter. Nancy uh, Bess wants to shop. Nancy wants to um what's the word I'm looking for here? Um let Bess shop. <laughs> there was a better word. Enable Bess. Ena- okay. She wants to enable Bess's let shopping Bess addiction. Shop. <laughs> she wants to enable Bess's shopping addiction. They're in France. And so, They're high, and, high, high fashion and in it's France. So on point because like the whole opening is they come outside, Bess is shopping, Nancy's letting Bess shop. And Ned is miserable. He's just standing outside, mm-hmm. depressed. His whole Parisian vacation has been ruined by not one, but two mysteries. And now, when he could be out a- doing stuff with his girlfriend romantically in France, Canada. When he could be doing something romantically in, in France. French, Canada. In French, Canada. Uh, now, Bess is shopping and monopolizing all his time. And so, he, when he sees... And a Vespa a, drives by and he gets splashed with a puddle. That doesn't happen, no, but it, it might as well. So, at one po- so, when he turns his head and he sees a woman crossing the street, and he's got these moon eyes, like, oh, finally, someone who isn't Nancy. <laughs> like, he didn't notice until now. Like, oh, thank God. Another woman. Please rescue me from this horrible relationship. Um, she, uh, she almost gets hit by a car, and he tries to help her, but she refuses to be helped mm. in a very suspicious way. Like, I don't care if that person looked like they were trying to hit me on purpose. And it turns out she's a famous model, and there is a, a, a scheme to shake down the, the French fashion industry from mafiosos. But it turns out it's actually a couple of cops. What a twist. No, mo- no actual mafia. We can't have actual mafia. Well, here's shows. the Come thing. Come on. That, here's the thing that we, we did. We had the Dalai Lama earlier, but yeah, we can't have like real crime. Here's the thing. There's two things in this episode. One is good and one is bad. Mm. When they have to distract the corrupt cops so that they won't get to like the consulate in time to stop the model from being safe. Mm. Uh, Ned and Nancy, when they see them coming, they just go, "Oh, let's do the jealous boyfriend routine," which is good. It implies that there was a time when they were simpatico and they had like, a routine. Like in yeah. the high school years, they were actually like really like on the yeah. same page, and they were great. And he get the pre- jealous boyfriend routine. Nancy, no, we're we're not. No, not again. Not after Borneo. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's more like uh, we can't do that. That's pathetic. It's not us. Yeah. This is sad. We, yeah. Look, let's just stop. Let's just stop here. <laughs> sit down. <laughs> Two espressos. <laughs> okay, one. <laughs> Nancy, we need to talk. <laughs> the jealous boyfriend routine really... It wasn't until that moment that I realized... That we were over. <laughs> <laughs> We've been over a long time, Nancy. Clearly, you're in love with Bess and George. <laughs> Clearly, I'm in love with literally anyone who is. And, and, <laughs> it's another woman in it, isn't it? It's every other woman, Nancy. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Jesus Christ. My heart broke. <laughs> Jesus, Whitney. You monster. Use that line in one of your radio dramas. Okay. Um, so, they, so I kind of like that they implied that there was actual history and that mm. once... Uh, once upon a time, Nancy and Ned were actually good for each other. Hmm. Um, the other thing in this episode that really stood out to me is just like, what? 
is when they find out that the bad guys are corrupt cops, the first thing they do is, we should call the cops. No. This is the one time you can't when I'm cops. going to say, because usually in a movie, I'm going to just say, just call the cops. Mm. Just just call the cops. Just It was an accident. You, you can just, tell somebody that. You're yeah, like, all real... the evidence will support this. Mm. It's it, Yeah, it might be look bad, and you might have to get your lawyer to come in and like explain the situation, but... It's going to be way better than if you try to cover it up and then have to kill each other. It's a plot point in The Lovebirds, which opens this week. Yeah, it's a, yeah. It's a fun movie, by the way. We'll talk about that in this week's Critically Acclaimed. But, like, yeah, just, just call the cops. But when the cops are corrupt, that's the one time I'm going to say, don't call the cops. Mm. Call your consulate or call your lawyer or call someone else. Don't call the cops. But, of course, that's their solution for the cops are corrupt. Mm. Stupid. But in any case, everything turns out okay. And then the last episode of the show... Last episode, which is uh, ends with a kiss between Nancy and Ned. Mm-hmm. But it is bittersweet. Bittersweet. Yeah. Because uh, it's their last day or so in France, and uh, Ned wants to spend it romantically. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he has a rule. Yeah. No mysteries, Nancy. No mysteries today. <laughs> but when they get off a train, and it turns out someone in like their rent-a-car... Uh, someone was like asleep in the back of their rent car. They have to drive him where he wants to go because that's interesting, and we don't understand everything going on well, with it, that. That's still technically a mystery, Nancy. Well, and, and it starts with they're gonna throw a guy in front of a train. Yeah, like he's like gonna get mugged, he's, and um, he's, so he's, like he's Anna Karenina. Oh, they they almost throw Ned in front of a train, and Ned's just yeah. like, I just want to move on. That's too much like a mystery. I just want to, I just want to have a day <laughs> in France. Like a mystery. No, thank you. A, a Russian guy just tried to kill you with a train. I don't care. I, I don't care. care. That, that happens all the time. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> what, 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 one croissant, please. Just a croissant. <laughs> Aren't you going to investigate? A croissant! <laughs> please, Ned, please. So this guy is in their car, and Ned just wants to like let him go, and he's just like, no, we got to drop him off wherever he's going because mm-hmm. it's a show. And uh, Ned's just like, fine. And the guy lives like an hour away. Mm-hmm. And they get him there, and it turns out he's part of this like scheme. Mm-hmm. And they have to help him be part of this scheme and in the end Ned says hey I had a phone call at the beginning of the episode and they want me back in Africa so um you want to come with me and maybe save our dying relationship and Nancy's like no 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 I don't want to do that like how sad we've made this relationship scene (laughs) well it's not like tragic it's not like she wants to fight for him it's not like she considers it she does that bit where she trots off of, of, of towards the train like oh. maybe i'm thinking about no no mm. no well, she's there's just no sit, mysteries sitting on anywhere the train, but like sort of stroking her chin wow wow the dead weight's just sort of lifted now oh <laughs> like my a... god finally i can date george like finally like, <laughs> ned's just like talking to everyone on the train just like oh thank god you guys who wants to buy me a drink? Like, everyone's happy. <laughs> Just the relationship is over. Um, we joke about the relationship with Ned, and honestly, the 90% of the reason why that relationship with Ned comes across bad is because that's the only note Scott Speedman's got. Uh, yeah. The only I mean, note he's got is, I am this, unhappy in this, this relationship. Kind of, this kind of pained expression he's always So that's, it just adds this depressing subtext to the entire show. Was was the 1995 Nancy Drew canceled too soon? I think yes. You think so? I actually found it oddly well, this, charming. This, As an, here's, here's, here, imagine this. Imagine right. this. Like this bland little program. You you are you're in junior high. Okay. You're doing your homework. Okay. At five o'clock, this show is on. 
So you want to finish your homework and you're going to watch Nancy I wanna, Drew? I want to, I want to, or I can, or I can watch Nancy Drew while I do my math homework. Right. That's what this show is designed for. It's for slightly older if, kids. If I was in junior high school yeah. in 1995, okay, yeah, if I was like maybe 12, yeah, I'd, the, I'd, you, I'd be kind of. You got people who are dressed in cool 90s fashion, solving mm. you know up to date 90s crimes. Uh, eventually, that guy will be on Felicity, and that'll do something for me. And mm. like, um, well, yeah. this, this is 90s. Fa- like, I came of age. Yeah, uh, you know around women who are wearing these sort of fashions so yeah. it's like this is like a little bit of my a uh, little bit of my bag it's like yeah. oh this these are like sexy fashions so look, i like this I, this is not an amazing it. show by any stretch of the imagination mm-hmm. however it has its own sense of charm mm-hmm. it's it's if this show was an hour long it would be interminable <laughs> but at 22 minutes even the bad episodes just kind of flip by yeah and i can get by on i find the cast especially uh george and bess mm-hmm. very charming just fun to hang out with I would love to live next door to these people and get involved in their various day-to-day goings-on and doings. Yeah. They oh, seem yeah. cool so, to hang so, out with. So on a I, middle school, I, I want to hang I out would, with these yeah. cool people level kind of show, this is okay, and I like it, and I wouldn't have been unhappy with more episodes. I, I, I would not watch this today, but yeah, I think you're right. I think if I was in junior high school, if I was like 11 or 12. Yeah. And this came out, and I, I would I would watch a show. Like That's that. clearly the demographic they're going. Because I was I was watching shows kind of like this back in the early nineties. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this is okay. You're right. You're right. I, you know what? You changed my mind. Okay. I th- I think it was kind of a boring show. I think the characters are aren't very sharp, but the actors are actually very game. Mm-hmm. I think the mysteries are dull as toast. They're like, there's pretty, not mostly generic, a couple of yeah. decent ones, but mostly not great. Yeah. Like nobody's ever in any kind of real peril. But no. if I was 12 years uh, the old, Dalai Lama. the Dalai Lama, but I, I, I wouldn't want real peril necessarily. If I'm watching, you know, sort of a, a show likely by myself, mm-hmm. uh, on a Friday night when I'm 12 years old, what this show needed. And I, mm. and I probably only thinking of this because it seemed like it was, go- was going here in the pilot. Mm. This show needed like a sinister group who was up to things, you oh, know, like, like, the, like a specter, like the Strattermeyer yeah. Syndicate or something. <laughs> like, you could call it the Strattermeyer. Why syndicate. not? Yeah. Like, let's just do it. Like, and just like they're just a mysterious group, and they all have like you know little code names or something like that, and just uh. they're just behind crimes, just general corruption in town, and Nancy is constantly a thorn in their side. Uh. You have a mysterious guy in shadow who's smoking a cigar in the foreground. Mm. That's the kind of vibe you need that gives them an excuse to have something that feels like stakes, but actually isn't that much more intense than anything we've currently got. Mm-hmm. Gives you a sense of continuity rather than just everything just feeling kind of thrown together. I think that would really help. Also, ditch Ned. <laughs> just <laughs> Ned, Ned never comes up again. Yeah. Nancy can date. Mm. Did. No, not this net. Another net, well, sure. Not big, this net. A, a big uh, running theme of this show is this kind of beefcake element, isn't it? I, yeah. I, I guess. Yeah, I guess this is a show for kids, isn't it? For yeah. like for young girls yeah. who are you know here to see a little bit of handsome man. Yeah. But and, and not cool, but not a, independent. Yeah, cool independent women, you know, handsome, stylish. Men. You know, there's there's nothing overtly sexual about this show. There's nothing no. overtly violent about this show. Um, it's not condescending to say, oh, when we're all fashion designers or we're all gem in the holograms and we're yeah. going to do these kind of like really fashion forward or like really kind of flighty superficial it's, it's things. It's wholesome without being like extremely uncool. Well, yeah. It's, wholesome it's, is usually uncool. Corny, but not, not wholly uncool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, it's, it's okay. All right. It's not amazing, but it's okay. Okay, fine. And if it, they, it was not canceled yeah. too soon. And if, you're, and if you're in the mood to look for a Nancy Drew that you've never seen before, it's currently on Tubi TV. Mm. 
That is Cancelled Too Soon for this week. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, again, it's a whole new season of Cancelled Too Soon, and we are very excited that next week will be our first poll of that new season. If you're a member of our Patreon, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network, mm. every month you get to pick an episode of Cancelled Too Soon. This month we had a whole bunch of failed TV pilots uh, that we thought might be uh, fun to throw at you, and the overwhelming winner, and I was a little surprised because we had, like, Failed TV pilot starring Emma Thompson and Hugh Laurie and stuff. But the overwhelming winner was The Orson Welles Show, <laughs> which will be our first official talk show that we've ever covered. It is. Yeah, we've done a couple like parodies of the like, mm-hmm. like the, the Muppets was about the making of a talk show with the Muppets in it. But no, this is a proper talk show. Orson Welles shot a pilot with celebrities. In fact, the Muppets are actually on it. With him as the host of a talk show mm-hmm. in the late 1970s, memory serves. And the so pilot is available. So Orson Welles at the height of his powers. Oh. I'm sorry. We're, we're, he made the other side of the wind at that time. That's a great yeah, movie. That's true, but we're, we're going to get into late era Orson Welles. Oh, we have to. Yeah. We have to because, boy, is that a career of ups and downs and downs and, and downs, downs and downs. It's a long and way down, down in Hollywood. And downs and ups, but nobody noticed, so we go down and down. And down, down. and down and down. And then, yeah. he, and then he's the voice of a, then, a planet in a robot cartoon. <laughs> And then he died. I know. It's a real tragedy. But I've never seen this pilot before. I'm a big Orson Welles fan. I've seen a lot of his other stuff. Mm. But never seen this. This should be interesting. Should be most certainly interesting. Yeah. So we'll be covering that next week on Cancelled Too Soon. Thank you, everybody, for listening. A very special shout out to our patrons. Uh, If you're a patron, as you know, you get a ton of exclusive content. If you're not a patron yet, you sure as hell could be if you wanted to. I understand. Might be able to afford it right now. Totally get it. Uh, if you can't afford to contribute to the show, leave us a review. Recommend us to somebody if you could. That'd be great. Or if you, you don't like the show, it's weird that you got this far into the podcast, but you know you don't have to do any of that. <laughs> I'm not, not trying to be a jerk about it. <laughs> I'm a firm believer in the soft sell. Anyway, um, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. That's where you can get all of our exclusive content. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at critic acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Thank you everybody for listening. That's a wrap. We'll see you next season. <laughs>